1: Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 675. If you were in Detroit and or Milwaukee this past weekend, thanks for coming out to the live shows. Ms. April Richardson and I had a great time. Got a picture picture of the, the Bronze Fawns in Milwaukee, which was great. Had some Slows Barbecue in Detroit, uh, and the next couple of shows are in D.C. and Philly, and then Bonnaroo uh, mid-June. So hopefully to see you out there for that, let's go to the Noitus Community Corkboard. Uh, here's a podcast called Little Big Cast. that's everything PlayStation is discussed on live podcasts, including game nights, indie games, much more at twitch.tv slash Cast, and that's cast with a K. Uh, Check out the podcast live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or find the the podcast on iTunes. Uh, Moving on, Jeff Peck Jr. has created a cool and unique way for record enthusiasts to store and display what record is playing. They come in two sizes. They hold either 5 or 25 records. You can find them at recycledsaints.com. And our buddy Ken Denmead, Geek Dad. Uh, he is, of course, uh, a former Nerds podcast guest, episode number ninety-nine. He was uh, in a significant bit of legal wrangling to get the Geek Dad brand back, but he has finally settled the issue. Uh, but there were legal bills because that's how America works sometimes. And uh, if you want to help him out, go to GoFundMe.com/GeekDad or become an ongoing patron of Geek Dad at Patreon.com/GeekDad. But uh, Ken's a good guy. And he wants you to make with the cool tech so your kids think you're cool. And uh, help them out if you can. If you would like your event or thing posted to the Nerdist Community Corkboard, events at Nerdist.com. Or throw them in the comment threads of the podcast over at Nerdist.com. This episode is Mr. John Cryer, who I've met a handful of times over the years and has never failed to be a lovely, lovely gentleman. Uh, He has written a book called So That Happened, A Memoir which is available now wherever books are sold. He was such a great guest. And uh, again, another good guy. I know you're getting sick of me hearing me say, like, oh, this person's great. This person's lovely. But these are, these are nice people. And Cryer is no exception. I am telling you, you're going to want Cryer to come over to your house. I don't know if you'll be able to get him to come over to your house, but if you can get him to come over to your house, then you will have had a successful day, my friend. Here's the Nerdist episode number 675. What the fantastic John Cryer. Katie, Thing, please.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com
0: A scary. This room? Yes, very. Yeah, it's deep of the brick. <laughs> it's all the, the brick, the brick is means business. <laughs> the brick is very serious. Yeah. But in general, it's. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you'll find it to uh, be a warm room, John. Oh, good. Which is here to, uh, here to. Me no, about, like, uh, this isn't the, the this House isn't the, this is not the British press. Okay,
1: <laughs> oh, they're fun, but they sound so cool when they're doing it. They really, they Fuck really you, do. Here's Morgan. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, what is that? A journal? Is that a, a guest book? Oh, okay,
0: kind of. So perfect. all of all of our guests. There's Bill Gates. There's nice. Julian Anderson drew a big vagina. Vagina. Yeah.
1: See, I don't.
0: Yeah. So okay, I have a story about
1: vaginas. If you'd like, later. Oh, it's, it's, later. mean <laughs> later. The, well, no in the in the broadcast, I will tell you. I don't if I tell you now, it will feel forced. We've already recording. Oh, this is recording, and you yeah. just heard me just unload on Piers Morgan. Yeah, it, we, I don't even know Piers Morgan. We can cut that out but if you want. Fuck him. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got nothing against Piers Morgan. Uh, uh, no, the vagina story I was going to tell is not about my own uh, vagina. But uh, uh, no, my my uh, my. Daughter daughter—we've tried to demystify the of whole course. thing for our children and not, you know, call it a hoo-ha and make up cute words for it. Just call it what it is, you right. know, uh, uh, and, and so that my daughter doesn't feel like it's dirty or something right. like that. So—but she, of course, is now five— and understands there is comedy value Thank in Thank God you weren't like, she's 24. I know. And <laughs>
0: 24.
1: <laughs> and we screwed her up. For we're lunch. trying to
0: demystify <laughs> <Yes>. the whole thing.
1: <laughs> finally. <laughs> finally, it's finally okay. We're demystifying okay. it. Uh, but, uh, she, uh, but she's five and she's realized there's certain comedy value in the word vagina, which I, I think is also, uh, I think a lot of people in stand up have realized of course, uh, yes. the comedy value of vagina. Um, so uh, so now she's saying it just to get a laugh at dinner table, you know, and stuff like that. And we're trying to sort of now ignore it and not make it this hugely powerful funny word. Um, but we're trying to ignore it. So my daughter has sort of upped her game. Uh-oh. Uh Oh, uh, she has created a character uh, with her vagina that she calls Vagina Fish Lips, uh, and Vagina Fish Lips talks, and so she does the whole thing with uh uh', uh it's your uh, daughter
0: Sarah silverman i you think
1: you think she has a promising career in this uh uh but but the funny thing was my daughter bonded great with my wife uh uh and so she was always a little threatened by me and my relationship with my wife you know because because yeah. uh, we were totally dig each other and uh so uh um, so my wife um uh hello hi welcome welcome uh um uh so my wife uh 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 so she uh, would w- would always um so my daughter was not always very welcoming to me sure. you know she would always say like, no go away daddy go away daddy you know that was what she said for for several years uh <laughs> and uh and but interestingly, this character she created, vagina fish lips, uh, is very nice to me, uh, and will talk to me before bedtime. Oh, go, good night, daddy. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, it's very, very sweet of her. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, sorry, I, you know what? I, you,
0: your listeners didn't need to. It's a good story because I'll tell you why. This. Because there's two things. There's two things that I think are intriguing about it. Number one, okay. mm-hmm. people with young children who are trying to demystify. Because by the way with what kids are growing up with now, it, it's like they're going to, as soon as they are conscious beings, mm. they're going to have this stuff thrown in their face because of yeah. just the way the media is and the internet. And, mm. and, and, and So having this demystified, and, and, and also, you know, we have a chance with this generation to bring them up in a in a healthy sexual identity atmosphere yes, as opposed exactly. to when we, when we were growing up, where it was sort of like, Be ashamed, you know. Like so, actually, I think it's actually a very good story. Oh, thank you. And I also think it's very cool that you're not like, "What are you doing?" You know, (laughs) that's not (laughs) supposed to do that. No, because uh, at the uh, at
1: the bottom of everything, I'm a comedian and I enjoy good work. Yeah, you know, (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: uh, she's funny. She's a funny little five year old girl. (laughs) And you, uh, so you had a child when you were forty five. Is that right? Yeah. And how Uh, because I'm. Four,
1: I guess, because I'm turning fifty tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes. Happy birthday! Thank you, you guys. You guys. You didn't have
0: to get. Oh wait, you didn't. We didn't get you anything. No. So actually, (laughs) the expectations were right on. Fine. So this is today, the day that we're recording this is April fifteenth. So the sixteenth is your birthday. Yes. This won't go out for a couple weeks just to land in time with uh, with uh, with your book. But. Cause I'm, you know, I'm 43, mm-hmm. and so, but I don't have any kids. But I kind of think, like, I'm not a... You know, I could still do... I'm not opposed to the idea. So are you, do you physically have any, capable. Do you have any other... guy? Yeah, like Tony Randall had kids when he was 70. Yes, he is the, he was the measure by which all old guys
1: are... Possibly
0: are. gay, and he still, has and he's kids? still Yeah,
1: so No, he was an effeminate heterosexual dork, like me. <laughs> you are the Tony Randall am, of this generation. I am generation. the Tony Randall of this generation. I was a pioneer in my field. Well, just for my generation, actually. Uh, uh, but... <laughs> Ducky was a was a an effeminate heterosexual dork. Uh,
0: Ducky was unite. Ducky <laughs> was my like in terms of you know I, because of the way that I grew up, uh, nerdy awkward kid. You know I always related to the Anthony Michael Hall character, the Ducky character. Mm. Du- Ducky like yeah. yeah I, I mean I I saw all, like all of your movies. I mean, going back to No Small Affair, to Hiding Out, to uh, uh, to Pretty in Pink, like always. I was I was a, a Hot Shots. Like I was a huge huge John Crier fan oh, when I was you. growing up. So thank I you. because I identified with you as this character who was sort of like out of place with the rest of what would have been considered popular culture, mm-hmm. but you still managed to make stuff cool. Oh, like, uh, oh good. I uh, not on purpose. Uh I, I thought, I thought the famous Teddy z was a really fun oh,
1: show. thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, we were trying something that I don't know that we landed on that show. Uh, I think like Larry Sanders show really that really landed what we were trying to do, you yeah. know. Um, but we were on CBS, you know, 3 years before, so it was a lot harder. Wasn't
0: uh, Alex Rocco on that Alex show? Alex
1: Rocco was in that. It was great. He won an Emmy for that show, which is oh, pretty fantastic. exciting. Yeah, and he's so lovely, such a great guy. But uh, but well, thank you for going over my filmography. Yes, uh, <laughs> you started nice.
0: kind of. You started pretty young.
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, my uh, first job was nineteen years old uh, in a Robert Altman movie. Uh, called Ocean Stigs mm-hmm. that you haven't seen that I didn't see yeah, that nobody has seen
0: because it's not good but it's a Robert Altman um, film I know you'd think
1: uh, he it was his stab at making sort of a youth movie yeah uh, and you know he he did Mash he's the guy's capable of being super funny sure you know um, but I. Th- I, you know it and Ocean Stigs was based on a bunch of national lampoon articles about these two guys who are just total uh, 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 i don 't know what you'd call them uh, uh, vandals so, you know they, they, they just they love destroying the suburbia around them and it was a, it was sort of a comment on reaganism and and all that stuff um but uh, but the movie just never quite worked. I mean, we would go, we would make the movie, we would shoot the movie during the day, and then Bob would have these big screenings at night of all the rushes from the day before. Uh, uh, rushes. Rushes. Uh, I now sound elderly. Uh, yeah, this was unreal was to making, real, correct? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were there were black there was no sound, no sound uh, um, they, and, he hired a uh, piano player oh it 's the scary part uh, uh, but, uh, no he would uh, uh, he would have this great party atmosphere to show us all the rushes and we would watch what everybody shot during the day, and it was largely an improv improvised movie we would um, uh, he, you know, we, we had a script, but he would basically mic up all the actors and set them loose on the set to make it up, which was scary but great. I mean, it's uh, Robert Altman's entrusting you to do this. So, so we would watch the dailies and and just laugh and laugh our asses off. We just thought this was hilarious. But when it cut together, it just lacked any context, and and, and the movie just did not work. At
0: all So, so it's, it's basically just a series of sketches that didn't really It's connect. not even sketches
1: It's just people wandering around saying whatever comes off the top of their head. Is heads. this available anywhere? Can people uh, see this? Yes, it's, it, it's on a DVD uh, okay. uh, But it it does, it does exist um, but it's uh, but it's not good. Did was there a premiere for this movie? No, there wasn't a <laughs> premiere. No, as a matter of fact, it, wa- it was unreleasable. It was considered unreleasable, and it was only put out like a video company bought out a chunk of MGM, and they th- and they put out all their their videos that they could, and it was one of them. But it was it was unreleased up. See, to that
0: this point. is why people should go easy on themselves. Even Robert Altman had exactly. a turd in the punch bowl. It,
1: oh my gosh! And what a turd! You, uh, yeah, check it out. If you ever if you ever uh, you should probably
0: smoke some weed
1: or something, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but, uh,
0: uh, you know, so, something to take the edge off that but no, But then No Small Affair, I think was the first movie I saw with you and Demi Moore, right? You were a young photographer and she was a model and you were in love with her. Yes. And, 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 then, some, and then you guys ended up yeah, but I can't remember to be, how it ended. It was supposed to be sort of a May December thing. She was supposed to be
1: an older woman and I was supposed to be, you know, young and still in high school. And, but literally like seventeen and twenty-three. Like yes, it was like was that like, kind <laughs> of really, yeah. really minor age difference. <laughs> well, the it was the, the movie actually got started a, a year before with a different director and with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick and Sally Field in it. So there was actually a little more of a May December. Oh, that thing. is a much more of a Exactly a graduate style Ex- Yeah. But they uh, but by the time it it, uh, it, it, it actually got shot it was me, and and to me, you know, isn't that the the the, the normal course of events? At any rate, uh, uh, but that was yeah, that
0: was uh, and Tim Robbins was in that movie. Oh, wow. it was like what?
1: What? He yeah, there there was it was
0: uh, he was you <laughs> know like he had a string because he was also in Tapeheads and uh-huh. he was like he was in a bunch of these eighties movies where he was sort of like the the lanky, hilarious, goofy guy. Yes, and then after the player just like. Super serious, super serious, all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I wanted that phase. That phase never happened to me. Did
1: you want that? Uh, nah, it's not fun. You, you know, the the uh, uh, being able to do uh, comedy is uh, is a, a gift. You know, because because uh, I mean, the serious stuff. Honestly, it's weirdly weirdly the stakes are kind of lower when you're acting drama. Yeah, um, because you just uh, I don't know. You're, you're, you're not uh uh obviously if it's if it's not if it 's a comedy and it 's not funny, you blew it right <laughs> um, but if it 's a drama and you know there's a couple of imperfect moments it's okay
0: you know uh, so it 's a little less precise yeah. i think and with pretty and pink, I know I know John Hughes wrote that. I think Howard Deutsch directed that, yes, right. so did you work with John Hughes at all? yes, he was a, he was a presence. Uh, he was not there every day, um,
1: but he was there many days uh, uh, like uh, and, and it was interesting because howie didn 't have the same style of directing as John. Uh, howie was uh, incredibly warm and you felt like he was your best friend and uh, and, you know, he'd come back after he'd come, you know, we'd, we'd shoot a scene and then he'd say, hey, is there anything you want to do? And I would just go in and make some stuff up, you know, and uh, and that was fun. That was a really great way to work. And and John uh, wanted that wanted that sort of give and take as well. But he was capable of sort of messing with your head a little bit. I mean, I remember there was a scene uh, and I talk about it in the book where uh, this, there's a scene in a nightclub where. Uh, me and Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy and Annie Potts are uh, having an argument around a table, and it's a little frustrating when you shoot a scene with multiple characters at a table because you got to get close-ups of everybody, and that takes a while, right? Uh, unless you've got multiple cameras, and we 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 didn't at that point, and uh, and so by the so we started with Molly's single, and then Andrew's single, and then Annie Potts single. And I think Dweezil Zappa was in oh, it as wow. well. <laughs> yeah, and uh. And so by the time we finally got to mine, uh, uh, Molly and Andrew started screwing around behind the camera and, like, changing the lines and insulting me. And this was weird, you know. I, I was like, what is going on here? And, uh, and, I, and, be, and, and it was an argument scene. So, you know, that sort of fed into the, the anger of it. And, uh, and after the scene, I, I took Molly's side. I was like, what if, what are you doing you know um, uh, and and she said oh well John told me to uh, to to try and make you angry because the scene wasn't uh, percolating enough and I was like and I managed <laughs> then I really got angry <laughs> like you could just like, tell me exactly <laughs> you just make it a little hotter that's that's what you say in that situation <laughs> I am a, I am uh, a performer yeah but it was but it was an interesting bit of sort of Machiavellian uh, uh, oh. manipulation and and apparently John John was a, a, a tough guy to uh, get close to And I You know With My interaction with him Was always uh, uh, Was Was Always genial I was a huge fan of his From his writing At National Lampoon mm-hmm. uh, And uh, And actually He had uh, There was a story That I loved That that when I went in For my audition For Pretty and Pink I mentioned to him I was like Oh I love that story It was a uh, It was called The Spy Who Wore Nothing uh, And it was basically You know 15 year old boy is asleep at night in his room, and a naked woman climbs in through his window. And it turns out that his memory's been erased. He's actually a deep cover uh, secret agent. Uh, um, And then they go on this adventure together while he's with this naked woman. Uh, And it's, you know, it was like the ultimate 14 year old boy's uh, uh, fantasy. So, of course, I was a big fan. and he later confided in me that he had he had taken that idea and sort of changed it and written it as a new script uh called Some Kind of Wonderful <gasps> <laughs> and uh, uh and he that was the movie that he was talking to me about after Pretty in Pink but and for a while exactly and for a while i was going to be in Some Kind of Wonderful um but then uh and it's a long torturous story that i i go into in the book but uh uh, it, it, they, the, Howie managed to make John angry. Howie Deutsch was supposed to direct that one. Howie, uh, uh, John got angry at him about something. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden wasn't the director anymore. They brought in a new director, Martha Coolidge, who rewrote it. And then they, the, uh, they cast Eric Stoltz while she was the director. But then they fired her and brought Howie back. Uh, <laughs> and but so Stoltz I, was already... And by that time, this, the, the story was pretty in pink. All over again, but it had not started out that way at
0: all. I think Martha Coolidge directed one of my favorite movies of the eighties. Real genius. Real genius. Yes, yeah. the Val Kilmer movie. Yeah. Yes. So there was a that I'm kind of curious to know what it was like to. I mean, the 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 term "brat pack" was thrown around quite a bit in the eighties mm-hmm. as being. The group of like of basically the, the cool kids, the cool kids, it like yeah, the, yeah, it was like the Breakfast Club group, you yeah. know, it was the, the it was Rob Lowe and Molly and and, Judd Nelson, and Judd Nelson, and Emilio and Estevez, and you were part and, of yeah. that too because like you, I, I wasn't really not the inner uh-huh. inner inner, but yeah, exactly, you were part of it.
1: Yes, I was part of it, and uh, and uh, uh, there was a writer recently writing the history of the the brat pack in those '80s movies, and she called me, so I guess I'm a part of it. Uh, <laughs> but but at the time, if you recall, when they coined the term the brat pack, it was negative. It was very because it was like, look at these bunch of assholes.
0: Really? You know? Yeah. You don't oh, remember? I don't remember. I just because I was the right demographic. Oh, so you so it was, was like, like, right, like above you. It was yeah, cause right above you. Yeah, because everyone was really you. fucking cool and really uh, uh, really awesome, and it was. Was but but was it what without social media like in the eighties? What was it like to be a famous movie actor in the eighties? Was it did it seem was your uh, well it, it was awesome? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's a
1: perfect choice of words for it as well. Uh, um, uh, at that time though the 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 Brad Pack actually sort of came about as a terminology from an article uh, written about. Uh, and a, a what sounded like a kind of annoying interview that this writer had with uh, Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez and, and oh. Joe Nelson, and so they immediately uh, got this. It immediately had a negative connotation at the time, um, but it's nice to know that uh, that there was that connotation was absent. Uh, For a lot of people, yeah. No, um, I didn't get that that at all. I was just—I
0: was the right demographic for all the for all those movies, and they all like I landed right squarely in the middle of all the things that I that I loved. But I always I way more identified with this sort of uh, awkward. Out of place, nerdy characters because that was me. Like that's mm-hmm. how I I moved a lot when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I was always like, I don't really fit in with anybody. You know? <laughs> so uh, it was uh, they were they were greatly appreciated. And yeah. but it's it's not you know, and not everyone survived that. Not not everyone really survived that era. Yeah. It w- well,
1: it was interesting because it was the, the combination of extreme fame and drugs. You know, the availability of drugs. And, and that that was part—that was ex- considered kind of an acceptable part of the culture. Was that—were you into that part that, of it? No, I was not. So it was always a little weird for me because, you know, everybody, when they were going to go out and party, I wasn't going to get invited. Right. Uh, which was actually probably par for the course <laughs> at that point. Uh, but no, as a matter of fact, there was some—there was a point because uh, 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 I, I was, you know, in talking about ideas for the book when I was writing the book— there. Uh, Uh, I was going to write a whole chapter about uh, the number of Uh, you know very exuberant drug users who never offered me drugs Uh, (laughs) nobody ever I've made it through the entire 80s without ever getting offered drugs you know what it took Andy Dick in 1993 to finally offer me some drugs he's really breaking a lot of ground exactly and I thank you Andy Dick because finally somebody was was willing to also uh, please mm -hmm. take care of yourself (laughs) yes exactly please good good luck Andy but he was trying to make out with me at that moment
0: so well he's Something
1: exactly, exactly. It was uh, you know, it was it was part of a plan of seduction, I yeah.
0: suppose. Now, if Rob Lowe had whipped his penis out,
1: that that would have made it an evening, right? As
0: far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Did you? Uh, what was? What was? Were you? Were, so you were never at any of the crazy. Part? I'm just kind of curious to know, like, what was a what was the craziest thing you saw at like a weird '80s party? Because I it, think in the '80s is like. People don't give a fuck about anything. And they'll just do <laughs> yes, whatever. There's it's no just, rules. It's coke yeah. and unprotected sex and, and no. no one gives a shit about no, it. No, that's the thing,
1: though. The the 80s were never that, that big bacchanal for me. I, In fact, I went to the Playboy Mansion really hoping for that. Uh Uh, And had a lovely surreal evening. Uh, 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 Got uh, the only uh, person who uh, I had even a shot with was uh, the paraplegic playmate uh, because they they made an effort uh, to diversify, of course. Uh, uh, But uh, but alas, she was too drunk.
0: Uh, and it just felt like, no, yeah. you know what? Uh, you cannot. And, I mean, you you cannot yeah. hook up. There's no part of you that, if you ever even a remotely decent person, you cannot hook up with a drunk uh, paraplegic person. No, uh,
1: or there's well, no, you, drunk, I mean, if they're drunk drunk out people of general. In general, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <out of laughs> <general.
0: laughs> drunk <laughs> people. Two things you shouldn't. When I when <laughs> I went to the Playboy Mansion the first time, I thought it was going to be really crazy too, and I spent most of my time just staring at the monkeys in the cages. Exactly, the That's monkeys. That's what I enjoyed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it is fascinating,
0: uh, you know. And I and they uh, uh, there was a girl there
1: who was. saying, Oh, you want to see the game room? I'm like, oh yeah. Do I want to see the game room? Uh, and it was a, a, Just a game, game room. room. Yeah. And then there was John Jonathan Silverman playing uh, pinball. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> it I it managed to exciting. avoid
0: getting any type of airborne HPV at the Grotto. which Yes, was, uh, congratulations. Was good. Thank you very much. And yeah. You know, yeah, I've only been there once, once or twice. Okay. And I was like,
1: I get it. Yeah, I'm good. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good now. <laughs> but uh, but surviving surviving that period and and then and having a an amazing career. Continue from that. I mean, it's not like you don't just work. You haven't just worked a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're on the you're on the biggest, or you were on the biggest sitcom, one of the biggest sitcoms in the history of television. Which is you knowing how hard it is to even get on a show. Uh-huh. That's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, and that, and that was
1: you know the the universe aligned, and that's what happened. You know, it, you know, you you uh, a, a, a portion of the book is talking about how sort of you get the parts you're destined to get. You can't beat yourself up over the parts that you don't, right? Um, because you know, like part of the book is I, I talk about the things that I auditioned for but did not get, but that I'm happy for because the things turned out so well, right? Like uh, I auditioned for Chandler Bing in uh, in Friends, you know, but I love Matthew Perry. I auditioned for Mr. Pink in uh, in Reservoir Dogs but I love Steve Buscemi you know and and I auditioned for Karate Kid you know but I'm glad but it you wasn't love Pat me. Marita. Uh, yes, yeah, I love Pat Morita. So, yeah, come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that joke has been made before. I know. <laughs> No, that
1: was the first time. No, that was the first time. Okay,
0: <laughs> that was the first time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, you as Nucky Thompson. I sort of, I sort of, I sort of like this idea of <laughs> well, you as thank Nucky you. Thompson. Thank you you in Boardwalk. Thank you. I mean, because <laughs> honestly, you take a good comedy actor and you put them in like an intense drama role, and it's. A lot of yeah, times, sometimes like, they can really wear. I mean, Vin- Brian Cranston, That's you it, know. Vince Gilligan, yeah. like most of the people yeah. that were in Breaking Bad were comedy people.
1: Yeah, well, Gone Girl, I thought used very had very nice use of uh, formerly comedic actors. So, is this gonna?
0: <laughs> are you seeing this as a as? Are you going to start taking? Weird roles in, in, in movies? To... I've, I've actually always done weird, weird
1: roles. Uh, there's, a, there's a movie I did called uh, Glam uh, where I only took it because uh, I, I get uh, – the part involved me getting beaten to death by a shirtless Tony Danza. Yeah. I, I don't see – Yeah. Don't see I mean, done. that. Exactly. Done. Yeah. Done. You had me at uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to meet
0: with the director. Why are exactly. we not shooting <laughs> this right now? Why is this not being shot as we're speaking? Exactly. <laughs> but i always I always think of um, you know with all of the all the drama that percolated from your show, like the real life drama, I always felt bad for you in the sense i'm like, God damn it's fucking hard enough to get a show on the air. It is hard enough to have a hit show. Can everyone just act normal so we can (laughs) so we can try to enjoy this this gift that we've been given, which happens usually if it happens at all once in a lifetime. Exactly. Maybe could you know sometimes it could happen a second time, but really you know as far as you know this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Why is everyone trying to fuck this up? (laughs) That that did come to mind a few times. (laughs) Can we just show uh, up to work? Yes,
1: exactly. Uh, You know. the 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 uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book was that I realized how many strange experiences i've had in the business, and I realized they sort are of all sort of culminated <laughs> with uh with my two and a half men experience and uh and and it is interesting people in the business have that. Have that issue. They're like, "Oh, you had it in your hand. How could you throw it away like that?" But people out of the business uh, just sort of assume we're all going to work all the time, and that this stuff happens to us all the time, right? Uh, and uh, and they're just kind of entertained by how ridiculous it is, which made me sad because in, in the, at that time I was sincerely worried about Charlie Sheen dying. Yeah, you know, and I thought this is not actually entertaining, folks. You know, right. this is this is a, a person in really bad shape. So, uh,
0: well, by the um, way, and I'm sorry to interrupt. You, but it's just like that point right there is where, you know, where I think the tabloids have. I mean, you know, it's fine to be like, who wore this dress better?" Great. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you put people like Lindsay Lohan, Charlie Sheen, when you put these people under the microscope and like punch them and punch them and punch them and punch them mm-hmm. and punch them, it's like it's, you have to remember, like, you, you, you might be contributing to some of this. Exactly. Like These are <laughs> destructive people. Yeah. And you're basically uh, you're basically antagonizing someone with an illness, in, and, and in you the kinda... hopes that they will become more ill and give you more more stories. So it's kind of it's kind of gross. So, yeah. it, like, did you uh, when you first started the show? Did you sort of feel like even during the pilot, were you like? I don't know, or did, was he totally cool? No, he was sober. Actually, in, in fact,
1: the uh, uh, we did a photo shoot. The very first photo shoot for a new show is always a little awkward because you haven't really done, you haven't been the characters really for any length of time. You've maybe shot the pilot or whatever. And... uh And so, but you've got to pose and you've got to have the sort of physical relationships that you have with people. So it was a little weird. Um, but it was, uh, but you know, there was Angus T. Jones, all of, you know, nine years old and, and Charlie and I, and at one point Charlie asked me what date it was. And, uh, I said, it's the 14th. And he said, uh, he said, oh, I've been sober for two years now, you know, and, and, and he was proud of it. Uh, and, and I really liked the fact that he wasn't counting days. He was now into his years, you know, and, uh. And for the first few years of the show, he was sober, uh, so just, he was a different guy. And you must have known him from Hot Shots. Yes, when we did Hot Shots, uh, uh, he was clearly still partying, but he hadn't sort of it, it hadn't. Uh, I don't know. It hadn't gotten out of control at that point. I, I think at that time he was uh, uh, he was sort of on a rebound of a uh, uh, you know he, he had he had had some some career. Problems and and gotten a little too deep and uh, and he was now getting clean and trying to get his act together for uh, for this movie for Hot Shots if you recall and uh, and so he was great he was great to work with he would he would come in the trailer say hello to everybody super friendly uh uh you know I you know I'd hear tales about where he was the night before but couldn't see it from his work at all sure uh and and you know it, as I said. Because I gave up the vibe of a guy who wasn't doing drugs, I I, I didn't participate in those kind of things and didn't didn't I was I I wasn't asked to go out to the parties. Sure. I find that to be a very fortunate happenstance for you oh in the end absolutely at the time I managed to be hurt Uh, uh, (laughs) well
0: you know performers are very sensitive and we want to be included for a while
1: I was going to call the book No Coke for Ducky (laughs) Uh, but um, uh, I just (laughs) I just figured the cover was yeah guys Uh, guys,
0: surely someone has uh, a punk band or an alt rock band out there (laughs) that needs to be called No Coke for Ducky yes exactly Um, but uh, so you started the, you started the pilot and you started the show and he was totally cool everything seemed fine the the A- A- Angus was an adorable uh, little kid and it's yeah. like everyone like oh hey we're doing it so how long in before it was like eh, i don't know uh,
1: it was probably 3 or 4 years it was the first the, the, the and, and and actually I in the book I go into the the little indicators that should have have told me something was was off, you know. The first was uh the radio interview about uh, 9/11 conspiracies that he gave. I don't know if you recall that because I was listening to it on they're talking about it on K-Rock and played chunks of it as I'm driving into work and I'm like, uh <laughs> wait a minute here, what is going on with and before that I had seen nothing. Uh and and uh Uh, and I, I, we parked next to each other, uh, at the, at the studio. So I got out of my car and he was just sitting outside of his trailer having a smoke. Uh, and I was like, Hey man, (laughs) what's going on? Uh, and, uh, uh he was, he, 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 was on the phone because, you know, of course there were, uh, you know, people were all at, at Twitter about it. This before Twitter, before Twitter, yeah. <laughs> and, pre-Twitter and, uh, Twitter, uh, pre-Twitter, uh, Twitter. And, uh, and, uh, uh, I said, dude, what are you talking about? And he stood by it and said, no, you know, they're, they're hiding things from us and they're just and that. And, and, and then I sort of broke it down and said, okay, you understand how if you wanted to do what they did. It would be impossible to plan because it was so hard, you know. It, it, you know, uh, and, I, uh, and and we just argued about it and and I, I argued about it in the in the makeup room and and all, but and it was interesting because the dynamic when you're you know he's a star of the biggest show on uh, on TV at the time, and so nobody was willing to say you're starting to go crazy, right? <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, uh, so there was, there was a surprising amount of support in the, in the makeup room for nine eleven conspiracies that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but I understand cause who's going to say, you know, is the, the person dabbing on, you know, his concealer isn't going to say, Charlie, you're nuts. Right. <laughs> um, right, right. so, uh, but it was, it, it, but it was fascinating, uh, and, and, and. Uh, you know b- between that and then when uh uh his his divorce with denise happened and uh, you know the, uh, there were there were little indicators all the way uh, along the line
0: Are, were you guys uh really good friends at that point or just we like- were,
1: we were great work friends but uh uh and we and we made some efforts to socialize outside of work but uh uh, but, you know, he had two daughters and, you know, what happens a lot of the time when you're, when you've got kids is you just cocoon and you don't of end up socializing nearly as much as you used to. And that's the phase he was in at the time. And I've just assumed, oh, he's doting dad, you know, right. um, but obviously
0: after he and Denise split, it got, it got very different. And did anyone, what, did anyone at any point say like, should we have an intervention or should we do that something? That happened years later. That happened in like
1: the, the seventh season. Uh, uh Chuck Laurie, the producer of the show, who's, you know, been uh, sober for years and, and could obviously see the signs, took me aside and said, please, John, can you talk to him? Cause I think he'll listen to you. And, uh, and I don't know that he would because I was never a party buddy. You know, right. I was his work buddy. And so, uh, so we respected each other. We really liked each other. But you know, even though I was absolutely willing to, to talk to him about it, uh, you know, I don't know how much good it would have done. And interestingly, I, he, he asked me to talk about it. And I said, OK, I'll talk about him tomorrow when we're at rehearsal together. And uh, the next day, Charlie went into rehab. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I don't. Well, that, you know, that was an awkward situation. I won't have to deal with. Uh, but then a, a year later, he asked me to to talk to him again, and that's when he and I sort of had it out. And uh, and he, you know, and I was at the time. He sounded like he got me and got what I was saying, and and was going to make a change. And it just didn't
0: work out that way. Is it, is it? Is it? Is there some sort of a strange? I mean, like, if you can just sort of walk me through a little bit when you're when you're in a scene. You have all this other stuff weighing in the back of your head. You know that there's very serious shit going on. You mm-hmm. know that he has problems, potential health problems, maybe mental health problems, drug problems. <laughs> But you know you're still making you know for all intents and purposes like a fun wacky comedy with it. So was it was is a live audience there? Yeah, okay. it's a live audience. So how are you? How are you sort of mashing all that down and kind of uh, almost like almost like when you're in a bad relationship and you're in front of your friends and everything's like hey. No, everything's great. Yeah, you know, like is that, is, that, is that literally? You're just like, yeah. got to focus and do the work.
1: There was a certain amount of that. There was a uh, Charlie was after after he was arrested uh, uh, in Colorado. He was sincerely worried that the audience, you know, the studio audience would not laugh at him anymore, not find any of this stuff funny because we still used a lot of his persona in the in the show. Um, and I and we were all nervous. We were all you know sort of saying, well, is this going to be funny anymore to people? You know, and. Uh, and it was a fascinating reaction because uh, when they opened the curtain and revealed us at the beginning of the show, you know, which is we always come out and take a take a little bow and introduce ourselves, um, the ovation for Charlie was cacophonous. It was the just, uh, it was like everybody in the room suddenly had to take a side, and so they decided they were all on Charlie's side, you know. And it was it, it was a really odd experience to go, wow, you know. The, the, what exactly are they clapping for at this moment uh, uh, and I, you know i think it's when you're in the room with the guy you you know they're not just going to sit there and be silent it's not going to be cr- crickets you know yeah, mm-hmm. i don't know i think
0: i think people like a i think people like a bad boy you know yeah, like, on some level. i don't i don't think they realize like how dangerous that actually is so they are kind of yeah. like yeah he made it through and also i think if anything sort of worked in favor for at least the public, at least the way the public saw it, I think, is that it was with it was kind of within his character in the show mm-hmm. in a weird sort of way of yes, just like exactly. so he, people he like, was on brand. He's living it. yeah, he is. Yeah. It's not it's not like it's not yeah. like he it's not like he was playing Felix Unger, you know. Uh, yeah. and, 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 I was playing you Felix. Were, Unger. You were playing Felix. You know, like it, it so in a way it's almost like, yeah, yeah. And and I don't know, people tend to embrace Yeah, that the people who kind of embrace their dark side. I guess I don't Mm -hmm. know. The whole time I was watching, I was like, (laughs) "These people don't know what they're supporting."
1: Yeah, he's a fantasy figure for a lot of people. He is a he is a fantasy figure, and and like his his live tour. Uh, was uh you know a a sort of symbol of that you know that there was a, an actual audience to just see him ramble you know <laughs> um and you know that that's uh uh you know i uh,
0: if they pay their money great <laughs> god did, love them <laughs> did you did you give up emotionally at a certain point because you can only try to help so many times then you're just like i can't i can't I can't yeah. do this anymore oh yeah uh
1: and and that was yeah that the I, I gave up after uh, when, when they had started to try and recast his character on the show. He started writing really angry, you know, even more so. Was that you the know, Tiger Blood and,
0: things or was that? No, that after, was actually after. That was after. That was, it was even worse. Okay. Uh,
1: and that's when I gave up and said, I, I don't know this guy anymore. Yeah, and, and have you spoken to him since? Yeah, yeah. There's, a, we are on speaking terms. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the book, I talk about some of the process of of, 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 of talking to him, and and, uh, and uh, you know, I I wouldn't say that we're close, you know, uh, but he he knows about the book, and he seems like he's okay with it. He hasn't said anything, um, uh, but uh, he, you know, I, I the guy I knew was sober. You know, and if he makes that decision and wants that to be his life, then I'd be happy to welcome him back into my life.
0: Well, there's, the other thing too is that you know, you can try to help someone, try to help someone. You can't make anyone do no. anything. But no. then also at a certain point, you kind of got to protect yourself because you have yeah. a family, you have a career, you have a, a like. You can try to a certain extent, but if someone is just such a toxic, like. Tornadoes don't build houses. You know yes. what I mean? Like, <laughs> t- tornadoes, <laughs> yes. <and> tornadoes <laughs> carve a path of destruction. Yeah, and you know, my dad had this saying where he was basically like, "You put a negative and a positive in a room, and the negative's always going to win." Like, what um. it, Like the like the chaos. It's difficult to. To uh, reorient the mm-hmm. chaos. You yeah. know, like if something is, is going to be super chaotic and you can't at a certain point, you got to be like, well, you know what? Fuck, I have a wife. I have a family. I, I can't. I, I got Yeah, I got to I got I got But I this. wish him well yeah i mean that's yeah. honestly that's the that's that's the most that you can yeah. that's the most you can do Be truly happy for his success and whatever good things happen
1: for him in the right so of his please life.
0: Mm-hmm. uh and i and mm-hmm. you know I assume you're okay with talking about this stuff because a lot of it is the focus of the of the book uh, yes yeah, so,
1: well it's it's three chapters out of twenty seven so <laughs> there's <laughs> there's other stuff but uh, but yes I'm, I'm cool with it,
0: it can you it, d- d- were you uh what was your reaction to this sort of weird little uh, Angus Jones flip out oh yes that was exciting uh,
1: <laughs> no that was great because uh, Ashton Kutcher who I'd been working with for a, a little less than a year at that point um, he'd never been through one of these things before <laughs> <laughs> so I was the yes welcome to Two and a Half Men Ashton uh, he, he came he he uh, uh, I got this knock on my door, my trailer door. I opened the door, and uh, and and Ashton is there, and he's kind of hollow-eyed and like and lost-looking. And he said, "Hey, man, um, uh, you hear about Angus?" And I said, "No." Is is he okay? And he said. So Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, come to, come to my trailer. And so I went to his trailer, which was gargantuan, and uh, and he showed me the video of uh, uh, of Angus denouncing the show and yeah. calling it filth. And uh, and that was a, a jaw-dropping moment because up to that point, um, Angus had been the sweetest, uh, uh, you know, l- a lovely little kid who had this astonishing... Uh, gift for remembering lines and for taking notes at the last minute and, uh, you know, altering his performance and, uh, uh, and as an actor, he was great because he, he wasn't trying too hard. He was just being and he, it was just a wonderful presence and he was a lovely kid for so long and to just, you know, for him to, uh, in that particular manner, <laughs> reveal how he'd been feeling about the show for a while uh, was really shocking. Uh, but he's a deeply good kid, and in some respect, I I understood um, because he was this sweet little boy in the middle of a fair amount of chaos, of course, um, and that a kid so well intentioned would uh, discover, uh, you know, a, a deeply held Christian belief was not hard for me to believe. You know, uh, the, all the best parts of that were were who he is, sure. you know, and so. So that part of it did not surprise me. Um, the you know the uh, uh, the I don't know uh, just the manner in which it came out felt a little sort of manipulated. Like the people in his church were trying to get him on tape saying this kind of thing, and that sure. was not cool. Um, but he's a good guy, so he came and he auditioned. He uh, he auditioned. He apologized to everybody, and. And it was clearly sincere. He, you know, while he still felt the way he felt, he didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. He made the tape. He thought it was an internal video for the church. Sure. He didn't think anybody was going to see it. Um, Ha ha. So
0: naturally, he gave all the money back, right? Uh, Yes. Well, no. That I I understand why people would be angry about that. Um, I mean, there's nothing. By the way, I want to make it very clear. I don't have any problem if someone's going to say like. You know, I've mm-hmm. discovered this faith. I believe this thing, and these yeah. are my beliefs. Great, those are your beliefs. But at the same time, you're like, oh, but Dave, you,
1: you really you, you life, took the money. You <laughs> the, but
0: but I also when I saw that, I think my 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 forgiveness meter was more in a. He's a teenager. Yes. You know, ki- kids have a lot of different identities. Yeah. Maybe this will be the one that sticks. Maybe it won't. He's trying, like, exactly. he's, he's trying to figure out who he is, particularly in a business that is very unstable. And because of, like, what you said, you know, yeah. it's kind of an, unsta- an unstable environment, you know. I didn't really feel like, what is happening? It's just like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, he's reacting, yeah. he's expressing, you know. He's 19 years old or 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. yeah,
1: That's that That was another part of it, was, you know, he's he's young and he's figuring out who he is. And, and and by the way, I don't know if he kept the money. I don't know if he donated the money to the church. He, he's that kind of kid. Sure. And so he may well have. Um, uh, but interestingly, you know, he's been to college now for a couple of years, and it gave him a little bit of perspective on it. And I was really thrilled that he was able—that he felt— uh, fine about uh, participating in the finale of the show. Yeah. Um, because I, I would feel bad if he came away from the show just feeling like it, it was a, a, a bad experience for him or sure. felt that he was contributing to something bad.
0: Oh, well, so know? let me ask you this then. How much? A, so you say like three chapters out of 27 in the book are about this experience. Yeah. What percentage of your experience on Two and a Half Men? was soiled was the whole experience soiled for you or does it just feel like yeah that was just ten percent of it or how do you how do you look back on it
1: now? no I would say that the experience was vastly more positive than negative uh, um, vastly more uh, you know I'm not I can't give a percentage uh, sure <laughs> <laughs> um, but no first of all you know we had six or seven great years just in the original run and then sort of resurrecting the show was a, a, a fascinating, really difficult experience but but great and I learned so much uh, and, you know, in the end, it, it's, it's, it, it, it is actually the longest-running multi-camera sitcom in the history of broadcast television. So we achieved something that we might, had there not been the drama, that might not have even been achieved. Right. You know, so... Uh, so, you know, yeah, there were some bad times. Yeah, I am, I am, uh, you know, now that the show is over, I have to say there is some amount of relief to be away from what was the source of a fair amount of drama in my life, but,
0: um, uh, but by and large it was great it was a great ride so rather than rather than cuz obviously and i'm sure you've talked about it to death and of course and and in the book too it'll be when people ask you you can be like in the book but uh, <laughs> but you know like rather mm-hmm. than focusing on the negative like what are some of your what are some of the positive takeaways like what what were you excited about or what are you the most proud of or what are um
1: you- I was the most proud of uh uh being able to to build a character for twelve years you know and take him through a lot of uh interesting turns and and you know uh uh from the sort of emotional basket case to the craven uh, <laughs> you know uh, 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 craven sort of uh, self involved guy who he ended up becoming um, you know it was it was uh Uh, It was a huge education in comedy and uh, working with writers and uh, um, and watching how the writers dealt with uh, bringing Ashton in and and seeing how they changed his characters and what what arcs worked and what arcs didn't. And it was just all that. You know, it was the learning process of doing of doing a show for a long time that I find incredibly valuable Uh, because it's it's. You know, it's alchemy when you do it well, you know. And so watching people do it well for 12 years was great.
0: Do you, uh, when you finished... Did you feel relief or did you feel like, "Ah, I really want to do this for another 12 years? Or were you ready Uh, to sort of like, I I I want to go do other stuff? I was
1: ready to move on, um, but sad because I love the people. You know, the people were great to me, a great crew. Uh, That's a considerable portion of your life. And yes, exactly. It was 12 years. Uh, You know, I've been doing this for 30, but 12 is a good chunk, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, So. uh, you know, I, I, and just the incredible luck of having had a run like this is is crazy, and I I didn't want to take it for granted. Um, but I made a decision in our last season that, and I was really grateful that I knew it was the last season because that gave me a long time to emotionally prepare for it being over. Um, but I decided I was not going to be sad until the end. I was not going to allow the fact that I knew it was going to be over to ruin the last year I was there. Uh, and it was uh, and it was great. I didn't. I not really uh, start crying until the very last shot of the very last scene. I mean, you can't. How could you not at yeah. that point? Yeah. No. Then yeah. And it was a weird moment because they because uh, you know after you shoot a scene, invariably the writers work on some new stuff. They bring it to you, and then you play that again in front of the audience. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes you can just keep doing that. They'll keep, you know, if they can't find a joke that works, they'll just keep working it and you can be there for, you know, 45 minutes working on a two minute scene, you know, but the, you know, that, that happens sometimes. Um, but when we shot the very last scene, uh, uh you know we we've we've you know they said cut and i looked and i could see the writers weren't working on new lines they were hugging each other Aww. and i was like oh we're done Aww, we're shit. really done
0: you and almost want to sad. keep you almost mm-hmm. want to keep flubbing yes like, we can make it forever <laughs> um so what ideally now like what kind of stuff do you want to do and what what would you know do you want to explore a lot of different types of new things or do you want to take Time off and enjoy the the fact that the book's coming in. You know, I don't know. What do you What do you think I should do? I'll tell you what I think. Okay, tell me. I'll tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> okay, I and this is just my personal opinion. You know, I, I would find. I, I mean, like to me, Cranston is the perfect model for for like really interesting longevity because he will never repeat the thing that he did before, mm-hmm. and so it, it's. I, I honestly think you i think you could land and just be some really cool intense character in like a and like a weird drama like just like one of those really weird cable dramas where <laughs> where you have all of the creative freedom uh-huh. that is super interesting and super cool or or or, or film or film just like mm-hmm. you know it'd be it'd be great i i
1: you know i i'm trying to just keep my eyes open and not rush into anything sure you know i uh, if something great Crosses the transom, yeah, I love it. I'll, 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 I'll jump on board. But, uh,
0: but You're I'm not in such a good position though. I know because nice. you, you, it's... you know, like you, financially, you probably don't really have to do anything. You could just, you could just do stuff that's fun. It doesn't matter. You just make yourself happy. I, yeah. Well, I kind of always was that way. I was lucky enough that
1: um, I saved my money for my first few jobs, so I, I did not. Uh, so, I always had a cushion, so I never was taking jobs because I had to until very late, until my son was born. That was when I started taking jobs because I had to but before that, I was just doing i was you know it's like Tony dance is going to kill me shirtless <laughs> yeah, count me in you know uh, and that was fun, and that was a great way to work and you know yeah, nobody saw that movie but uh but i'm learning uh, you know i 'm learning something new every day, and that's great. Um. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, it. But you're right. That actually sort of uh, uh, gets me back to that point where I can, where I can do that again. Except I've got kids now. So, uh, sure. You know, uh, I'm going to try
0: not to embarrass them completely. <laughs> well, you, to be honest, you have to embarrass them a little bit. I mean, think isn't that part of the joy of being a parent? Is kind yeah. of embarrassing your kids? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Not to mention it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do because you're their parents. They will find it embarrassing. Between, you know, between five and eighteen, they're 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 gonna yeah. get more. No, I'm going to say between 11 and 18. Yeah, they're going to to be more and more embarrassed of you because that's what they're supposed to do. My dad cured Ebola. What a god! Get it, dad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should do—is go cure Ebola. Yes. Who
1: would? I know who would expect that. That would come out of left field. I mean, the The guy from Two and a Half Men. Fucking take that,
0: Cranston. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Dropping the Because this is all about getting Oh, you Cranston. did Walter White. <laughs> I cured Ebola.
0: <laughs>
1: what are you going to do about it? Uh, yours, Cranston. <laughs>
0: uh, John, it's Chris. Cranston just cured cancer. <laughs> oh, God, God damn, damn it. it! <laughs> Cranston. <laughs> just create an arch nemesis I, I, out of, of Cranston. <laughs> like one of the nicest guys, guys the Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I've always, <laughs> you know, like, the handful of times I've run into you at events over the years, you've always been so nice. I mean it's just like just not and not in a fakey just like a genuinely like hey like you ha- what is it about what is it about your <laughs> what upbringing is wrong with you well because because having been in the business for 30 years it's like people don't always emerge and you know like there's there can be bitterness there even even successful people wait so, there's successful bitter people su- <laughs> what what, <laughs> what? Yeah, you've seen them but how you know what what was it about your upbringing or your personality or whatever that you think kept you just like a nice regular dude um you know uh the uh, early on i
1: realized that uh if you love how stupid the business is and it is stupid Yeah. and it's unfair uh, if you can love that, then every day is a gift, you know, uh, and I'm serious. I love it. I, 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 you know, when it was great to me, I loved it when it was shitty to me, I loved it. Uh, and because it was always entertaining, uh, you know, so I, so that, you know, so, you know, that, that has sort of kept me through it all. Uh, and, uh, and. And that I've that even the the, the things I've done that, that have just failed, I found something in you know I found some kernel of something I I learned in it. Yeah. Do you ever think about I'm gonna go
0: direct a bunch of television, or, which is uh, a pretty you know, sweet I'd life. Love
1: to, I'd lo- yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to get that. You got like Ridley Scott directing a pilot. It's uh, how do you. Compete with that. You know, I I, I mean, I have directed some multi-camera. I would love to direct single camera. Um, uh, But, you know, if – I don't know that – I think I would pursue trying to uh, find another character to play before I would pursue directing. I don't
0: know. Maybe. We'll see. Is there another – do you have other ideas? Because I would imagine at this point, you probably could just go pitch your own thing to someone. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so what – do you have other character ideas, like other other things that you would like to to play, or other things um, you want to explore?
1: Not right now. I'm kind of trying to, you know, once once the the uh, show was done, I kind of wanted to be a blank slate and not think about stuff. I'm not that guy who has. I got a million things I want to do right now. Uh, I wanted to to chill out and not think about that. And you know, the book coming up uh, has been a fun sort of sidetrack um, because I I you know, it's a weird. It, you, it puts you in a position of weird vulnerability, uh, commodifying a, a portion of your life <laughs> and handing it out and saying, please buy this and enjoy it. You yes. know, <laughs> uh, It's very odd. And uh, so I'm, I'm learning from that experience right now. Uh, and so I've kind of suspended my imagination of what kind of characters
0: I'm going to uh, play. The fortunate thing is that as a comedy guy you can work the rest of your... Like, uh, you just have to be fun. Like, as long as you... You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, as long as you can... There's no... Like, you could, if you wanted to, just take a decade off. (laughs) And then you could come back and still work. Yeah, well, one would hope. Although, some people
1: feel like comedy is a young man's game. Now, do, do you feel the same way? I feel like comedy is... Uh, yes. or rather, young person's game. I think comedy, I think comedy
0: and I, I'm just—I'm noticing you have to split in a second. Oh yes, okay. I do. But but I think mm-hmm. comedy is a hungry person's game. I
1: agree, and I think yeah. that mm-hmm. I
0: think that hunger is more common in young people. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you meet people like uh, Mel Brooks, Joan Rivers, like people who are in their 80s and still that, hilarious, but yeah. because mm-hmm. they were still hungry, and mm-hmm. when people when people choose comfort over discomfort, when they choose you know like eh, I'm okay I don't really need anything else totally fine choices yeah but that's when the hunger goes away and comedy really is really a hungry man's that. game and that and I'll a tell you yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a hungry person's game yes exactly a hungry person's game Maybe not be gender specific but uh
1: but, but it is a uh, hungry yeah. person's game yeah and that is one of the reasons that uh, like like I will always love Eddie Murphy and I will always love everything but I don't know that he's hungry anymore I think that's why he sort of backs away from it you know yeah but, I mean I had heard that he did a, a stand-up set and I hope that's true um um, uh you know because it makes me it makes me i would love for him to want to do and that. i know
0: it's not it's not fair but i don't blame him you of know, course it's like, that's it's, his life. it's, it's, it's very fine. it's very <laughs> selfish to pick your favorite performance and go do this yes but you know <laughs> when you see Eddie Murphy and bowfinger you're like do that again exactly because you're so good <laughs> exactly
1: yeah so we we miss you eddie and i,
0: <laughs> I come home just so but before you before you leave, just in a couple lines. I, I I saw it in the theaters, but I don't remember it. But it, the title sticks out of my head. What was Morgan Stewart's "Coming Home"? Oh, uh, Morgan Stewart's "Coming Home"
1: was a, a movie that was originally made as a home front, and it was a youth comedy about a kid who uh, a kid whose dad uh, uh, is a senator. And is running for re-election and uh, uh, in- invites his kid who he's never paid any attention to back home to try and create the image of a family man, even though their their family's really screwed up. And it was supposed to be a sort of a black comedy about this kid ruining his dad's Senate sure. career. Um, uh, but it was uh, – we, we shut down a week into filming. They fired the director, totally rewrote the script. That's
0: appreciating the stupid part of the business. exactly.
1: And then they uh, – uh, then Ferris Bueller came out and was a huge hit. So they said, OK, how can we sort of fake that title? <laughs> <laughs> and it became Morgan Stewart's Coming Home. Did
0: you audition for Ferris Bueller?
1: Uh, I did not. I was doing Pretty in Pink at the time. And the, at the time, they were talking about me doing some kind of wonderful right, right after that. Uh, so, that crazy so that was – was the, that was the plan at the time. Was that I was going to do some kind of wonderful, and uh, uh, so
0: no, I did not. So here's here, here's a, a suggestion. Okay, if you wanted to you could afford to just reshoot some kind of wonderful (laughs) (laughs) and put yourself I like how you think
1: if I could find that original script it was so different than what they what they ended up with Ah, you're right I love it I love that idea so
0: this is so we're gonna I think we can announce now we have a plan (laughs) he's officially rebooting some kind of wonderful with himself (laughs) uh, (laughs) everyone else will be like 17 years old but you'll you'll still be a high school but you'll you'll still be a high school guy in it though (laughs) don't explain it no no explanation whatsoever yes well, that was sort of hiding out too. Was another one where yes, you go. Yes, now to, that you mention it, loved that movie.
1: Oh, thank you,
0: man. Annabeth Gish, right? Yes. Fucking Annabeth. god, I have an encyclopedic knowledge. of Yes, 80s it's movies. impressive.
1: It's very impressive.
0: But I know, I know, you have to. You're in the middle of a book thing, and we have to. I let must you go. go. Yes, I. But apologize. Uh, when is the when is the book come out? Uh, it's already out. It is out. Yes. What yes. is the official title of the book? Uh, it is so that happened. So that happened. Okay. John Cryer. Uh, it's so lovely to sit down and talk to you, and wonderful that you took the time to come in and, oh, and the, talk about the stuff. pleasure is
1: mine. Iron man, and I've been a fan of yours since, uh, forever since your stand-up and all that stuff. There is a Crispix Crispix joke of yours that I d- uh, just love. Oh my how the god! Earth, how the earth is <laughs> corn on one side, rice on the other. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, uh, the Crispix
0: that, that resonated I appreciate with me, man. That people, people, would, people would get offended by that a lot of times. Why? Because I saw the jokes, go rice on the other because they thought I was making a racial statement. I'm Oh, like, geez. No, guys, there is literally there's literally, literally rice Our, on our one economy of is based on corn. The other side of the planet <laughs> is, a, is a rice-based economy. That's It's not a, that's just agriculture. (laughs) It's an agriculture joke. And then by that point, the hook is dragging me out. (laughs) You people don't understand agriculture. (laughs) Uh, But thank you. I appreciate that. And it is uh, Mm -hmm. wonderful to see you. Well, the pleasure is mine. And uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Okay. (laughs) Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey,
1: listeners. It's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago, as we've just released our 200th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric, and this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they Met, who is more difficult to work with and what motivates them today? Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless in the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser!